Welcome to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, and also host of Cross Defense. Uh, coming at you every Monday, we record the show talking about uh, talking about curious Christian theological topics to excite the imagination, to to reinforce what we know with our mind, to comfort the conscience with the truth uh, of the gospel. Uh, it's Rally Week. I said, "Hey, anything that uh, we should do for Rally Week?" They said, "Well, if you." We're supposed to do something, you would know it already. So we're just going to do the show like normal. Although, although if you want to join, Rally Week is Send to Money Week. So if you want to support KFU, which is great. KFUO is, I mean, this is a, it's an amazing sort of thing that we're, that, that the church is able to do through KFUO. That, 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 the, that the Lutheran Church is able to send out the gospel uh, all over the world through the various programs and and is able to do that constantly. I mean, just 24 hours a day, all around the world, able to send out, uh, able to send out the good news of the gospel in all these different places uh, is, is really quite stunning. So if you want to support that, probably the best way you can call in 803, wait, wait, I always get these backwards. I always get these backwards numbers. 800-730-2727, or if you're hanging around St. Louis, can't get away, and so it's a local number, 314-810-0850. You can even text the letters KFUO to the number 41444. I wonder what happens. I wonder what happens if you text those numbers, if it just somehow sucks money Right out of your wallet over to KFUO. I don't know, but if you want, it's it's a worthy cause to support. In fact, I just sent out I sent out a little note. This doesn't have anything to do with what we were going to talk about today, but I sent out a little note to the Wednesday whatnot. That's the like seven people that that I spam every week on Wednesdays. If you want to sign up for that spam emails, you can go to wolfmuller.co slash Wednesday and do it. And I said, hey, if you if, if any of you guys listen to Cross Defense and you have anything to say about it. You could you could send it in, and I got a couple of letters. This I got um, I got a letter here from Per who says I listen to Cross Defense from time to time as a podcast. I always end the session edified. Uh, Pastors Wolfmuller's enthusiasm is contagious. My favorite ga- uh, guest pastor is the one with the strange facts, like the five day week of the communist regime. That's Pastor Warren Graff, who's going to come on later. Keep it up and thanks. That's from Per's Hesmandal. Uh, pastor in the Norwegian Church Congregation of Etni, Western Norway. And then I got another email. Can you believe this stuff? I got another email from, where is it here? Yeah, uh, from from Vilma, who says, Hello, Cross Defense. I listen to the podcast. It's wonderful. It's vivid and ultimate. Thank you very much for it. God bless you. From Vilma from Lithuania. Those are my two favorite emails. Uh, well, well, I should say, those are my second and third favorite emails. My first favorite was this. This comes from Jonathan. It says, this show is so bad, the only thing I've ever heard worse is table talk radio with love, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. So uh, this is some rallying endorsements because that guy has no taste at all. So anyways, KFUO goes all over the world, which is fantastic. So thanks for your support. And if you want to jump in and support it, that number again is 800-730-2727. Tell them Pastor Wolfmuller sent you. <laughs> do you know how they do that on the radio? Anyway, hey, today on Cross Defense, we're going to talk about the Bible. In fact, what I want to talk about is how to read the Bible. Now, that seems like it should be a pretty simple thing. You just open the Bible and you read it. And if you don't know how to read, it's going to make it tough. But th- but there's something to there's a couple of difficulties that stand in the way when it's time when it's time to open our Bible and to read it. 
uh, a couple of a couple of obstacles that we face. The chief op- obstacle that we face when it's time to read the Bible is the devil himself, who hates it when we read the Bible, study the Bible, hear God's word, go to church, listen to a sermon, tune in KFUO radio, whatever. The devil absolutely hates it because. Uh, because the devil knows that the Lord's word is our life. It's our hope. It's our peace. It's our confidence. It's our, it's our armor that we have to fight against him and all his ways and all his wiles. Remember when Jesus tells the parable of the sower and he says the seed goes, the seed is God's word. And the first attack is the birds that just pluck the seed off of the ground that's been trampled. That's, that's the devil who comes around to try to snatch the word out of our heart. And make no mistake that the other two attacks on the word, the attack of the rocks and the attack of the of the weeds remember in the parable that Jesus tells that's also of the devil so the devil is always attacking God's word so that's the first obstacle is the devil the world and our sinful flesh they stand in the way of us hearing and believing God's word but there's also some very practical obstacles that stand in the way of us reading the Bible and I think the, the one of them is in fact I was talking to our guest Pastor Graf about maybe I'll ask him about this uh, when he comes on in a little bit, is that we are not used to we are not used to reading texts that ask things of us. The Bible asks things of us. The Bible, um, the, the the Bible when the Bible comes to us, and and it, it there's a there's an honor that's due it and that it is gives us as as we are reading it and ga- and engaging with us. It asks us to engage in conversation. Unlike modern, especially unlike modern fiction, these don't these things don't ask anything of us at all. They just they give us everything we need. They fill in every blank. You don't you don't need imagination because it's there. I mean, it's just says everything that that could everything that needs to be said is is said, and you don't have to fill in any blanks at all. Compared to modern writing, the Bible comes to us as austere it comes to us as um kind of it doesn't fill in the blanks there's things that are left unsaid in fact oftentimes there's more more not that's not said more details that aren't given to us than there are that that are that are given to us which is a challenge now just a mental challenge when it comes to reading the scriptures that we have to engage our imaginations and, and we should I think we should think about this on purpose because we oftentimes don't think about it that we that we need to purposely engage our imaginations in the text I've had oh a couple of times over the years I've had a summer vicar or a vicar hanging around and one of the things that that's like a pastoral internship where a guy will come for a few months or for a year and and he's to, he's supposed to be learning how to be a pastor. I'm supposed to be teaching him that, which is kind of crazy. And one of the things that you're supposed to teach is how to preach. And I don't I don't know. I, I don't know if I've learned how to preach. I, I certainly don't know how to how to teach how to preach. But it was an interesting thing to think about. So so I had to sit and meditate on how how do you preach the text. And this is the one piece of advice that I would give to the vicars and that I give to pastors now, guys or uh, seminarians who are trying to learn how to preach. And and it, it's something like this. You you can't preach the text until you can smell it. it. Until you can you you can smell how it was on that day. We had the Gospel of Matthew this last week, where Jesus goes into the into the house of uh, of Jairus, the ruler, and his daughter is mourning, and you you just have to. It just says that they were there playing the flutes in morning. You have to, but you have to hear it, you have to see it, and you have to smell it. Now, why? Why smell is interesting. I don't know why I particularly like the idea of smelling the text, but I think it's because you can't smell over a distance. 
you can hear over a distance. I know that because if you're listening to me, you're not in the same room. I'm looking around here, and no, nobody is in the room with me, but you guys are listening. You can hear over a distance. In fact, that's what letter writing is. You're letting some, you can hear the voice of Peter and Paul and, and Isaiah and, and uh, Moses. You can hear their voice over a distance. So, so hearing is distant, and, and, uh, and seeing is distant, too. You can see things that are far off. But touches and, and smell are immediate. You cannot touch or smell anything that you're not there in the same place with. And I think that's why it, when we engage with the scriptures according to our imagination, we want to be able to we want to sink ourselves into it using our imagination. So it comes the words come through our ears, but into our imaginations where we can touch and and taste and see and hear and smell all of the things that are going on in the text we we want to we want to sink ourselves into it now this practice of sinking ourselves into the text using our imagination to engage the text is how the text then starts to come alive and so I, I've got one way to do it so we, we, we want to answer the question how do you engage with the scriptures and here's my one piece of advice uh, if you're dealing with the narratives of the text, so if you're dealing, for example, with the gospel lessons or the something like this, the parables, that we want to you want to sink yourself into the context so you can smell it. But in in general, the way that we want to engage with the text is when we ask this one question, and when, and 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 meditate on this on how the text answers this one single question, and the question is, what is the picture? What picture? Is the text painting for me? Now, this question is especially important when we're engaging with the Psalms, when we're reading through the Psalms and the poems of the Old Testament. We, and we might, if we have time, if Pastor Graff doesn't interrupt this monologue, uh, or if they, you know, they don't go to break or anything like this, we might, if we have time, look at some of the Psalms. But this, I think, is not just true of the Psalms. It's true of all of the Scriptures. What's the picture? What picture is being painted, and how am I part of it? Now, I want to experiment with this question with a few texts. And by the way, if you want to jump in, those numbers that I gave you earlier for how to give all your money to KFUO, you can also call those numbers to just be part of the program, 800-730-2727. So, someone call, by the way, 800-370-2727, which is what I always say wrong. Someone call them and figure out what that actually is. But the real number, if you want to call KFUO Radio, is 800-730-2727, or in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can call those, and you can jump on the show, and you can let us know what you think. You can you can play along here if you want to with this question, so you can call those numbers and be part of the thing here. Uh, and also, though, you can give all your money. Uh, so if you want to jump in, you can do that. But the first one I want to experiment with you, the text that I want to think about, is this text from Romans chapter 6, verse 4. This is this great, famous baptism text. And I was thinking about it most especially yesterday because I was working with some confirmands on memorizing this text. This is our fourth text on baptism, which is the signification. Uh, the signification, or what does baptism signify? Signification. And Paul writes this, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Now, that's not very many words, but the picture that that paints, 
is something that simply blows your mind. I mean, how often do we read those words and simply pass over it like this? But listen to what Paul says. We were therefore buried with him. So, so you got to picture the burial of Jesus. I remember one time, uh, this was when, back in 2010, we got to go to Germany, Oberammergau for the Passion Play, and there was a couple of very stunning moments, and one of them that I'll always, it just seared itself on my, on my mind was the, the, the removal of Jesus from the cross. You got to think about it. I mean, if you are, if you are holding someone to a cross with nails, those, those are, those are heavy nails that are bearing a heavy load. And so you got to take a pry bar and pry those nails out of the wood. And think of what happens to a corpse, a 200-pound corpse that's hanging from two nails on us, that it just is going to flop over. And so this is what happens. This, you, so you can picture it in your imagination. They took a, they took a, um, uh, like a cloth, a, a, a stole, a, a, or a tapestry, and they wrapped it up over the cross and then down behind Jesus and across the front of his chest, so it was holding him up. And as soon as that nail comes out, Jesus just goes, flump, and now he's hanging from one hand on the cross and being held up by this by, by this uh, this cloth, by this rope, and then they pry the other nail out, and Jesus, boom, he falls over like this, and then they, they lower from behind, they lower him down, and they take him into their arms, and they, they, they carry him now, and they go and they gently uh, walk th- through the garden and come into the tomb and duck down and carry Jesus now into the tomb, and they lay him on this cloth, on this slab. And they and they put him down there on the slab, and they and they and they cover him with the spices and and with the and with the cloth, and they put the the shroud over his head, and with with no doubt tears in their eyes and, and great mourning, as the sun is going down, they roll the stone over the grave, over the wall, the door of the grave, and they seal it shut. They bury. That's the burial of Jesus. Now look at what Paul says. We were buried with Christ. We, you and me, were buried with Christ. Now can you imagine, you've got to imagine it, you see. What's the picture that Paul is painting? That just as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and their assistants are carrying the dead corpse of Jesus from Golgotha through the garden and into the tomb and bringing him into the darkness of the tomb. Then there's people coming in procession afterwards, and they're carrying your dead corpse and and also wrapping you in cloth and burying you in the same place, putting you also in the grave. You are being buried with Christ. Do, Do you get the picture? Do you see how important that that question is? What's the picture? Do you see the picture? And then we say, well, how? How are we be, be, being buried with Christ? And then Paul says, he answers the question. We were buried with him through baptism into death. So just as Jesus is brought to the tomb and laid on the slab, so you are brought to death and laid there with Jesus. In your That's what your baptism is. The text doesn't say that baptism is a symbol of you being dead in trespass and being buried with Christ. It says in baptism you are buried with Christ. And why? 
You, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we should walk a new life. Do you see that just as Jesus laid there, but just for three days, and then he was awoken by the by the power of God, by the power of the Father, that he took up his life again, that the Holy Spirit restored him. In fact, the Bible will attribute the resurrection of Jesus to all three persons of the Holy Trinity so that Jesus is now raised and he now walks out of the tomb. So Paul says, so that you too may live and walk in a new way. So that just as Jesus was laid in the tomb, we were baptized. Just as Jesus was raised, we are now raised. And when we see the picture of the baptism, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, then we start to understand what baptism is, what it is, in fact, for us. We can read over these words so quickly. But when we get the picture, when we see the picture that Paul's painting for us, then we're able to see, in fact, what the text is saying. So how to read the Bible? Here's my advice. Ask this question of the text. What's the picture? And meditate on the picture in your imagination, and now the text starts to come alive. I'm getting the signal, the signal from St. Louis that it's time to go to break. So we're going to do it here on Cross Defense Rally Week at KFUO. Thanks for being part of the show. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. I, I have a bad, I've got, a, I've got terrible news. I just got a note from the studio that Pastor Graf is on the line. So I'm sorry for that. I guess we'll have him on uh, when we get back for the break. So stay tuned for that. We'll see what curiosities he's got to bring to us today. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, host of Cross Defense here on KFUO on Monday afternoon. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for... Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. Hi, I'm Jay Ashcroft. Here at the Secretary of State's office, we take the integrity of our elections seriously. Missourians agreed and passed Constitutional Amendment 6. Missouri's new photo ID law is now in effect. Have questions about the new voter ID law or need to register to vote? We're here to help. Visit showittovote.com or call 866-868-3245. Remember, if you're registered to vote, you can vote. Sponsored by the Missouri Secretary of State's office. This week on Issues Etc., we'll continue our Lutheran Catechesis series, talking with Pastor Peter Bender about the Divine Liturgy. We'll also have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller introduce us to the book of Hosea, and we'll discuss the flesh in the Bible with Dr. Mike Middendorf. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Your family gathers to celebrate your retirement from a career of over 40 years. Tears of joy for your newborn child are mixed with tears of sadness as you hear the sobering diagnosis. You softly smile to hide your sorrow as you watch your wife struggle to remember your daughter's name. Whatever your season in life, whatever your joys or struggles, Christ is for you. Hear the gospel message daily on KFUO.
Carl. Welcome back to CrossFit. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, and doer of a bunch of other theological stuff, which all ends up on the website, wolfmuller.co. So make a note to avoid that place, wolfmuller.co. I have on the... Now, I got... It's, it's Rally Week, which is Time, Talent, Treasure, and supposed to meet Treasure, sent it to KFUO. Is that... I'm not supposed to say stuff like that, right? Is Andy Bates hanging around listening? He's going to be mad. I got this... How about this from Yolanta, who writes from Poland? This is amazing. My my name is Yolanta, and I'm Lutheran from Krakow, Poland. I've started listening to your broadcast recently via podcast. You give me a meaningful way to start off each week, thanking, uh, thinking what God has done for me and how I always to always praise Him. Keep up the good work. God bless you. So thank you, Yolanta, for listening in Poland. And not only does Cross Defense have international listeners, but we also have international guests. Like our current guest, Pastor Warren Graff, who's from New Mexico. That's not in the United States, is it, Pastor Graff? Well, we're 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 right there on the inside of the uh, on the inside of the wall. I think. <laughs> I remember when our family moved from Texas to New Mexico uh, back mm-hmm. in when was that? Nineteen eighty nine. Every all our friends thought, well, can we come and visit? Do we need a passport to come and visit in New Mexico? Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Warren Graff of Grace from- Lutheran Church. In Albuquerque, New Mexico. Welcome, by the way, to Cross Defense. Sure, and this, this is where this is where what who who was it? The Roadrunner missed his turn in Albuquerque, so you know you know it's in America. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. That's right. There's nothing more American than Bugs Bunny. Right. <laughs> uh, we so were. I don't afternoon. know if you caught in. Thank you. Any of this talking about um, reading the Bible and asking the question, "What's the picture?" Uh, if you heard any of that thing, if you wanted to jump in as a corrective, or if you had any thoughts on that, I'm sorry, I did not. I just got on the phone five minutes ago, so I'm, I'm, I, I missed I, that. I'm sorry. I'm no, no. I'm glad for that. We were talking about how. So this is, and this is something that you and I were talking about last week. In fact, that's got me thinking about this. Um, is that our ju- just the fact that we are bad at reading and we have to be kind of spoon fed everything, and so one <laughs> of the things that I've been suggesting to people here at Hope. And, and anybody, really, is that one of the ways that we want to always engage the text of the Scripture is by asking, what is the picture? And especially this is true of the Psalms and the prophets, but even, uh, I mean, the Apostle Paul, Jesus, they all, they they speak in in images. And, and so we were mm-hmm. talking about this text in Romans 6, we were buried, therefore, by baptism into death, so that so that when we, we to to get the picture that Paul's painting, we here's the tomb of Jesus, and he's being laid in the tomb, and we in our baptism are being are being laid right there next to him, and just as Jesus is wa- is raised, we're being raised also now to newness of life, and and the picture is there for us and and for our instruction and our edification there. Well, yeah, isn't that something? The the um the, the rabbis did well, and certainly the prophets spoke much more physically and vividly. So Paul's not only able to tie you and me to the cross, the, the, the actual crucifixion, but then later in Romans he says, "What consider yourselves living sacrifices, which is an impossibility. That's like consider yourself a living corpse. And yet that's the language he uses, that um, my life is so bound to the sacrifice on the cross um, that he uses that really vivid imagery hmm hmm what do you think he's so and you're thinking so there's romans 12 um uh, mm-hmm. don't be conformed to the ways of the world but transformed by the renewing of your mind which is your reasonable service uh 
um, and and he, and then he has that picture. Offer your offer yourself as a living. So you're not only are you the the sacrifice that's being offered, but you're even the priest that presumably is offering the sacrifice at the same well, time. Well, yeah, except I think the word he used there is um, like consider yourself, if I remember right. Although I need to go back and look at the Greek of it, but but what he's saying to me and to you is you have already been sacrificed and now consider yourself a living sacrifice so the life you're living is this sacrifice life so the the life that is mine because it was a sinful life taken up in into christ jesus he was clothed with my sin my sinful life in his baptism by john he crucified that in his own body on the cross and now paul is saying so consider yourself a living sacrifice. Every everything of my life is bestowed upon me by that crucifixion. Hmm. Our lives are hidden with God in Christ. Or I, Paul said, how, mm-hmm. he says it like this to the Galatians: um, "I have been crucified with Christ." Right. I mean, that's yeah, as, about as clear as it gets. Yeah, in in Philippians, if Jesus if Jesus went and endured the humiliation. And the shame of the cross. Um, he he didn't he didn't even um, shy away from death, even the death of the, of the cross. Then that is what well, that is what I've been brought into. That's what's been bound to me in my baptism, or or, or in Holy Communion. But mm-hmm. I, now on that, so I've got. I was thinking about this. This is not. I know. I said, hey, bring whatever. You, so we're talking about this, but. I was thinking about this this morning because Paul then he continues from there in Philippians, and then he says he um, he says that so I want to be found in Him, not having my own. I'm I'm at Philippians three nine now. I want to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, and then he says mm-hmm. that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed unto his death, that if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And I was looking at, do you have any idea about this? This is just a curious thing that I was poking around with this morning. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and be conformed to his death. I, I would have thought that Paul would have gone the other way around. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. But he starts with the power of the resurrection, and then says the fellowship of his suffering. Do you know what he's what he's getting at there? Hmm. No, uh, I haven't looked at it in that sense that you're looking at it. Um, that I may sh- that I may have fellowship in his sufferings and become like him. Um, I know that where Paul uses this word power elsewhere, and maybe that's what he's getting at here. The power is always hidden, so it's not the power like you and I think of something that can be exhibited or or fruits that can be seen or something like that but it's a power that's hidden so that what is weak in the eyes of the world is actually the strength of god and and all of that so that you and i when we when we hear the suffering servant when we hear the proclamation of him from the cross in that in those words is actually wrapped up the full power of the resurrection to eternal life. 
So I would assume that's where he's going there, but I haven't looked at that text. No, I that think that's, that's really actually helpful because it binds these things together so that I know the power of the resurrection, in, and it shows up as suffering and a conformity to the death of Jesus, so that, the, so yes. that the, the power of the resurrection is at work in us, and the result is that we die in the faith. I mean, it's not, it's not like Good. when the power of the mm-hmm. resurrection is at work in us that we now live these great, victorious, this, this kind of overcoming Christian life. No, that's, it, it, we, it, it shows up as martyrs who overcome the devil even by, by not being afraid to die. <laughs> so the overcoming yeah. of the devil is being destroyed by him like Jesus was. And, and in that way, he's, Paul is rescuing us from, as you, as you mentioned, he's rescuing us from any victorious Christian living any evidence in our lives, and also any victorious Christian churchmanship, where we say, well, well, this church must, you know, this, this church must be preaching the true word because God is really blessing them, mm. which means, first of all, we have consigned Stephen to not being in the true church because he gets stoned to death. <laughs> and then second of all, we've, we've brought any growing organization that claims uh, religiosity into the church. So if we say, well, the Muslims are really growing, then by our own language we say, well, that must be because God's blessing their proclamation. This is, there's a way that we, um, have you and I talked about this in the, in the Revelation when John has this vision of the throne? He hears with his ears, the lion of the tribe has overcome, and then he looks with his eyes and he sees the lamb as he's slain. So you have these two different preachings. You have the preaching to the mm-hmm. ear, the, li- the, mm-hmm. the lion of Judah, and you have the preaching to the eye, the, land who, the lamb who's slain, and it's the same. It's Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but his victory, his, his triumph, is his crucifixion, his being slain and offered up as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Yeah, we're the ones who always, in our sinful flesh, we're the ones who always try to change it into a victorious living. Um, but right, it, it's it's always suffering for the church, and will be until our Lord comes again, or else we're denying that we're living in sinful flesh. That's fantastic. All right, what do you, I, enough about this. So, what do you got for us? Well, I don't know. I just thought it might be, with the news of the last week and two weeks, I don't know how often you've talked about the, the sickness um, of anti-Semitism, in our society, the, the what, it seems a strengthening, unfortunately, a strengthening sickness of anti-Semitism. But with the murder of eleven innocent people at the synagogue, the uh, Tree of Life synagogue in Pennsylvania, I thought it might be worth us just kind of contemplating for a minute or two what this means of what, what anti-Semitism is, what it means that it seems to be growing, and certainly then to talk about it in a way that we can realize as Christians how it is we're to speak of these things, of Jews, of um, Jew hatred, of, yeah, of that, racial classifications, etc. Oh, oh, that's wonderful. I have, we have not talked about it at all, and uh, at least I haven't talked about it here um, on, on cross offenses, so this will be really great. And I know this is, because I know that you, after the, the news of the shooting, you went out and visited a couple of synagogues um, in Albuquerque mm-hmm. to bring condolences uh, and, and blessings, so this is, is fantastic. So, well, so give, give the basic, if you don't mind, just to catch us all up and get on the same page, uh, the basics of the of the account of the of the slaughter. 
Well, the, so the news story is I'm, I'm looking at uh, just a story online here on USA Today just to get the dates right and all of that. But on October 27, so that was, what, two weeks ago, uh, give or take, it's at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and the murder was 11 people. Now, I don't know if perhaps there's been another death or two. I hope not. But of those who were uh, wounded in, in the hospital. Um, but the number at the time was 11. So just going with that. And then when you look at the victims, and I think it's worth doing. I, I appreciate when I was watching a particular news on TV, they actually put up a name um, in a uh, short biography. In other words, uh, name, um, vocation, and things like that, and ages. And if I remember right, all the victims, the youngest victim was in the 60s, and most of the victims were in the 80s and 90s. So this shooter went into this synagogue and murdered 11 people who were elderly, obviously unable to defend themselves. There were no, they had no weapons to defend themselves with. And the reason he murdered them was anti-Semitism. And that's fair, fair to say, going by his own words, because um, when, when his Twitter account and Facebook account, I don't remember what all else, but when these statements were brought up and he was in at least one um, group online that was, that was a uh, white supremacist, a uh, white supremacist group, when this was brought up, he had statements of Jews being the enemy of the white people. Those were some specific words he wrote. And also that President Trump is a pawn of the Jews. Now, I don't know how he got to President Trump being a pawn of the Jews, and I don't know that it even matters. Um, of course, you know, President Trump does have a son-in-law who's Jewish, so his daughter is Jewish by that marriage, uh, I believe. And then President Trump has done some things such as moving the embassy to Jerusalem, which maybe is part of what this this man was thinking. But again, I don't know that it matters. He, he was he was uh, anti-Semitic. He looked at these things in racial terms, and he was identifying Jews as being non-white and therefore enemies of the white. And it seems that that's really about as far as you need to go in analyzing him. But But with that, the other thing that is unfortunate to contemplate, but I think is necessary or should be, is to look at the general unhealth that we see around us in society, including Western Europe, where anti-Semitism has been seemingly increasing for the last, I will say, two decades. Uh, I don't know how you put a, put a number on those things. And as it's increasing, it's becoming more intellectually acceptable, it would seem. In other words, there are people making anti-Semitic statements that are not immediately ruled out of order from the public square, which you would hope is what is what would happen. So you have people like what I think I remember Al Sharpton calling, speaking of Jews as being kikes uh, and, and helping foment some, uh, some mob action against a Jewish business in uh, in New York, you have Louis Farrakhan, who has access to some of the highest politicians in our land, 
you have uh, a congresswoman who was just elected in Minnesota who has had anti-Semitic statements online. She, I even have one here where she says that this is a quote, and she is now in our House of Representatives, or will, or will be after after the um, after the new house is installed. She says Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. And she has other statements like that. Oof. Now this is oh, so, yeah. so we got to. So there's kind of two things that we want to think about rightly because I think that um, the one is how how does the church how does well, how does humanity and especially as Christians how do we think rightly about modern Judaism, its place in the mm-hmm. world and so forth without being swept away by sort of a theological Zionism. But then on the other hand, what what is the causes and roots of the of the anti-Semitism? We got to this is. Okay, this is perfect setup for the last segment, which we got to go to now. So we're gonna we'll we'll take a quick break and then come back. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church. It was Pastor Warren Graff with me from uh, Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And you're listening to Cross Defense here on KFUO we, during Rally Week. It's I don't know, Pastor Graff, if you knew that it was Rally Week this week, but that I'm is the sure week I knew that. Yeah, that it's, it's most especially everyone should call in and help support this work of KFUO, which is which is good work. It, God God be praised that. Um, that the Lord has given this good work to KFUO to to do. If you want to call and uh, and give your support, eight hundred seven three zero two seven two seven. Or maybe I might do this and see what happens. You can text the letters KFUO to the number four one four 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 on your cell phone, and something magical will happen. I don't. I think it just. I don't. I don't know. I'll, I'm going to try it during the break. But uh, stick with us for the break. I'll let you know what happens, and uh, we'll be back with Pastor Pastor Warren Graff to talk about anti-Semitism. Stay tuned. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Thousands of people are experiencing one of the most influential and beloved books of all time, the Bible. On November 17, 2017, Museum of the Bible opened in Washington, D.C., just blocks from the Capitol, a place where everyone can engage with the Bible, its history, narratives, and impact over the centuries. Through personal exploration, interactive media, and technology, the Bible comes to life in new ways. 
The museum features archaeological discoveries from ancient Israel, medieval biblical manuscripts, and modern Bibles in thousands of languages. The entrance features huge glass panels with Psalm 19 translated in 16 languages from Greek to Hindi. And inscribed on the walls of the Grand Hall is Psalm 119-105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. If you text KFUO to 41444... This is what happens. I found out during the break. Pastor Graff, I know you probably did. We're experimenting here, too. It take, it says, thank you for your pledge, and it takes you to a website where you have the option of giving a one-time or becoming a uh, regular donor. And you can pay with a credit card or with PayPal. I gave 20 bucks via PayPal. It was the, I think it, it lets you fill in an option, but $20 is the lowest for cheapskates like me. And then this pops up. Thank you for being a generous, caring person. And supporting Worldwide Ministry of KFUO. That's really nice. So, anyway, if you want to help KFUO, uh, that's the way to do it, I think. That's pretty simple. You could do it during the next break. Uh, for uh, KFUO to 41444. We're talking about anti-Semitism with Pastor Warren Graff. I want to... Is it all right, Pastor Graff? We got... So, we have like... We here have like 16 minutes, and I do not want to miss the main point, which is the rise of anti-Semitism in our, in our modern political culture. Uh, but I, I do want to spend a couple of minutes just kind of briefing about what what modern Judaism is, how it relates to the the theology of the Old Testament, how the Christian should think rightly about Israel as a nation and the Jewish people uh, before we get into mm-hmm. that. Is that okay to, to cover that stuff? Well, yeah, then, then let me maybe make a couple points on that so that because there'd be a whole lot of grant. Well, obviously, this would be there's books written about this, but that does show that there's, I think we could say there's a shift in what anti-Semitism means in the last um, 100 or 200 years. And it gets into what you're saying, because when we look at the Old Testament text, and this includes then the way that, that Luther would speak of the Jews, because when Luther spoke of the Jews, let me see, I think I have a quote here from um, Babylonian captivity, Luther's writing. Luther writes, if hatred for the Jews, heretics, and Turks makes one a Christian, then we, with all our rage, make the very best Christians. If, on the other hand, love for Christ is the decisive factor, then we are doubtless worse than all the Jews, heretics, and Turks put together. So in that, Luther is saying that no one is Christian because they somehow have identified themselves over against the Jews, heretics, or Turks. But notice what Notice what that shows. That shows that Luther did not understand a Jew as being a racial category. It was a doctrine. That does get into how we read the Old Testament, what we understand with the Jews, for instance, um, being enemies of Jesus. When Jesus would say, "You, but you Jews say, when Jesus himself, of course, is a Jew, as, as Luther also has a writing on that, that, that our Lord was born as a Jew. But Jesus is a Jew. His 12 apostles obviously are Jewish. Everyone, um, Mary, Mary Magdalene, they're all Jewish. And yet Jesus is able to speak of you Jews. So he's speaking of a doctrinal party in some fashion. And in that way, Luther is able to group Jews, 
heretics, and in heretics, he includes then the Pope. So Luther's able to group Jews, the Pope, heretics, and Turks. And, of course, Turk is the way to speak of, uh, at Luther's time, um, the Mormons, uh, uh, the Muslims, um, Islam. And so it's not a racial category, but rather it's a category that shows people who are teaching a way to justify yourself rather than being justified freely by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, what we have today is clearly a racial category in anti-Semitism. And so how did we get to that, that that would also be involved with the anti-Semitism of Hitler? And David Berlinski, who has written about these these things, among other things, he also writes about scientific epistemology and things such as that. But he ties it clearly to Darwin in his survival of the fittest, and then Hitler, who uses that to then say that the reason it's right for the, German, the Germans to go after the Jews, um, to, to, kill, to exterminate them, is because it's necessary for the fittest race to overcome a weaker race. And so then he tags Jews as being like dogs, like animals, and, and other disgusting terms he uses for them. So we, we should probably realize in the society that we live in, in the language that we understand around us, we are being taught a, a, a racial designation, categories, that is foreign to the time of Luther, foreign to the time of the scriptures, because we can remember that in the scriptures, if we're trying to identify what does it mean to be a Jew, at the time of Jesus, is to be of the, the party of doctrine that's teaching works righteousness. But if we're saying, okay, but what does it mean to be of Israel? Well, there's people in Israel that include Ruth, who is a Moabitess. The Moabites were killers of Israel until the, the Lord gives victory over the Moabites and all of that. But here you have Ruth, who is not an Israelite, and yet she is brought into Israel because she confesses the faith. And, of course, the, the book of Ruth show, shows that wonderful story of how that happens. But no one then reading that could understand being an Israelite as being a racial distinction. Being an Israelite means you belong to the covenant of uh, given by the Lord. And so not, now... Not all, Paul says not all Israel are Israel. This is This is the same... The same yeah. argument. Not it's it's not the now now it's, okay. So you you cover. I just want to make sure we don't we don't fail to pick up the sticks that you're dropping here. So there's a handful of things. So the the biblical understanding, which continued on even up to Luther, is Judaism as a theological category, and by Jew we mean a, a kind of works righteousness that's embedded in Phariseeism, but but yeah. that David Berlinski is going to make the argument. That when Darwin comes along, that changes to an an ethical distinction, and Darwin, with his understanding of of evolution applied to humanity, is going to say that some races are going to be inferior to others, and that that is that kind of anti-Semitism is what's picked up by Hitler, and that's the kind of thing that we're seeing argued today. I got did I get did I get the flow of the thing? Yes. And in and, and the categories that we learn today, uh, not as Christians, and they may be categories, they should be categories that we reject, 
but in the categories we learn, that ends up being necessary. Because if evolutionism is true, and, and our, our children are being taught in schools that that is the way we were brought forth by evolutionism. If evolutionism is true, it's true because of the survival of the fittest. If survival of the fittest is true, then it is a good thing, it's a benefit to exterminate those who are not fit. Therefore, that brings, you know, that brings up things like abortion, um, eugenics, euthanasia, but it also brings a racial cleansing because the race that is determined to be inferior needs to be cleansed for the, the superior race to ascend. That's where, as a Christian, we have to say this whole category of race is a false category. We don't know it. Right. It, all we know is that it, the person, when, when the Lord has me look at my neighbor, he has me look at a fellow human who's in sinful flesh like me, in no way inferior to me, and he is just as precious to the Lord Jesus as I am. Right. How? Okay, so how, connect the dots a little bit. How, it's, it seems like after just the, the, the horrors of World War II, and the the results of mm -hmm. centuries of anti-Semitism, that in some ways you would, we would learn a lesson. Could you? But how, how is it that this is now revived, and and why is it that that, that this sort of racial, this unique racial ha um, hatred of anti-Semitism keeps showing up? I mean, there's all sorts of different racisms, but this seems like it's of a different sort. We don't want to just throw it into intolerance or bigotry or something. That anti-Semitism is a very uh, a very specific thing to, to 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 continue to manifest itself in society in these ways well it, it is a specific thing or, or can be but that i think would go along with what we're talking about that to the extent that we've been brought up under darwinism and the survival of the fittest then to that extent we've also been brought up under categories that teach us a class struggle or class warfare, and that leads to a view of seeing myself in a class, and I need to protect myself from any class that is not of mine and overcome them. And here are the Jews who are easily identified as someone not of my blood. Now, now I say that, I, I hope it's recognizable that that is a disgusting category. It's, it's totally vile, and yet it, it flows in with all that we learn about the, the, uh, the species and about class struggle and all that. Let me add in one more thing of American history, because in this, when I say that, Luther would not have understood racial categories the way we do. And, and that's not me. The historians will talk about that, that the, this, these racial categories that allow all this uh, racism and race baiting and all that that we have are not the same in history. This is something new in world history of the last couple hundred years. And Thomas Sowell makes the argument that the reason that slavery in America was racial has an American reason, an American cause. And Thomas Sowell, of course, is African-American. But he says that the reason slavery became racial in America because before that, he argues, slavery never was racial. It was sometimes ethnic, where one city would overtake another city and make slaves, but it was not racial. So all over Eastern Europe, 
Sowell argues, you had throughout the centuries slavery, but it was never understood as racial. So why did it become racial in America? And he says it's because in our Constitution, we have the words that all men are created equal. Now, when we have slave owners who are giving their name, their allegiance to those words, then what do you do when you have a bunch of uh, African-Americans, Africans who are your slaves, and yet you're saying all men are equal, then the next step in the argument is you have to say, well, then they are less than men. They are a subhuman category. And by that, we Americans introduced what you might say a superpowered form of racism that, that then becomes unleashed in our conversation in the world. And that fits in with what happens later with Hitler being able to speak so racially. I'm not saying it causes Hitler to be able to do that, but it certainly fits into it where we now are able to think in these racial categories. As Christians, we should be able to back up and say, we do not understand that language. Hmm. What we understand is we're all children of Adam and Eve. Right. We're all children of of Noah and his family, for that matter. That Mm -hmm. that's just an amazing. So so that so that um, so that rather than being embedded in the Constitution, Sowell's going to make the argument that that Americans' racial slavery was the was a was a reaction to harden the conscience against the truth of the Constitution to justify what was happening. That's. Ah, it's yeah, well, that, no, that sounds right. Yeah, I mean, Sol didn't walk. He didn't walk into that language that you just did of theology. But I think that's. Um, I, I think that that's dead on of what Sol was arguing. Yes. Uh, uh, now I'm getting warnings, Pastor Graf, that we're running out of time, which I can't believe we got two minutes left. We got so so. Let's put as well as you can a bow on this thing, or maybe give some encouragement <laughs> to, to us. Well, the, the encouragement, I, I don't. The encouragement would be for the Christian. Uh, certainly for us to say that when we are speaking in terms that seems to marginalize anyone, we make sure that it's clear in our mind, and we try to make sure it's clear in our language, that no one is marginalized, and that what we're talking about is true teaching, the true revelation of Christ Jesus, versus a teaching in our world that says the sinner can justify himself. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Now, from that, then we can say, when we see any form of racism, institutionalized racism especially, of race baiting, and we know that in, in our nation, a politician can be sometimes elected um, by race baiting or by being accused of racism or by being a racist, depending on what the electorate is, wherever he is, whenever we see any form of race baiting or racism, and certainly any form of anti-Semitism, we should be the first ones to be there as a protector, as those to give honor to the person or the community being um, oppressed or, or sometimes even killed, so that the community at Tree of Life Synagogue They can know that we do not agree with them doctrinally, obviously, about the revelation of Christ Jesus and how a sinner is justified. But we also want them to know that we honor them and we count as vile anyone who would murder them or confiscate from them. 
and that we would want to be there to help protect them to the extent we're able. That's great. Thank you for that, Pastor Warren Graff of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. You're listening to Cross the Fence like you do every Monday. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your wisdom, Pastor Graff. Thank God for the gift of Christ who became every man's brother to redeem us all by his death on the cross, including you and me. God be praised for that. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.